who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have the redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and unto Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth, or things in heaven. Thus far, Paul in this section of Colossians has set forth the preeminence of Christ with regard to two areas. First of all, he has established Christ's preeminence in the matter of the redemption of sinners. Verse 14. Now, this is not a work which the Lord Jesus shares with many mediators, not a work that he shares with the sinner himself, but this is his sole undertaking by his bloody death, by his undergoing of the wrath of God and the curse of the law, Christ pays the ransom due to God's offended justice and releases those ransomed sinners from the captivity and the misery that is brought on by the guilt of sin. In this same work, he provides remission, the cancellation of the handwriting of ordinances, the erasing of the declaration of the sinner's legal guilt and the punishment declared against that guilt by the law, so that before the law the sinner stands perfect, righteous, innocent, and justified. And so we have Christ preeminent in the redemption of sinners. Secondly, Paul has pronounced Christ as preeminent with regard to the created world. Christ is preeminent insofar, first of all, as he is unique from the creation, as the image of the invisible God. And uh, the sum of this, I think, is explained succinctly by John Calvin in a quote that I did not find until this week, that God, quote, that God in himself that is, in his naked majesty, is invisible. And that not to the eyes of the body merely, but also to the understandings of men. And that he, God, is revealed to us in Christ alone, that we may behold him as in a mirror. For in Christ he shows us his righteousness, goodness, wisdom, power, in short, his entire self. End of quote. Christ is God visible. As such, he is not merely a super-exalted man, or the chief of the angels, or the highest created being, but is himself divine with the divinity that is peculiar to the only true and living God. But Christ is not only unique from the creation as the image of the invisible God, Christ is also preeminent in his relationship to the creation. He is the firstborn, reference to all creation. Not the firstborn of creation, not the first created thing, 
but the firstborn over the creation, creation's chief and lord, the representative of the father to the creation, the manager of the father's house, the one with whom all the transactions must be made, not a servant in the house, but a son over the house of creation. But there's one thing in particular that the apostle has in mind that explains or characterizes Christ's role as the firstborn with reference to the creation and his lordship and chiefness over it. And that is his creation of it, which is set forth in these uh, very vital verses that follow, uh, particularly verses 16 and 17. Because, he says he's the firstborn of all creation, because by him were all things created, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth, the visible things and the invisible things, whether thrones, whether lordships, whether principalities, whether powers, all things through him and unto him have been created. And he is before all, and all things by him stand together, or have their coherence. Now, to briefly outline these two verses, uh, to explain then what he especially intends by saying that Christ is firstborn with reference to the creation, he offers, first of all, a simple statement of fact. Christ was the one who brought the creation into existence. Christ was the creator. Now, that no one might under, misunderstand, he carefully explains that by all things, he really does mean everything that was created, not just the earth, but the heavens, the spiritual things that are created as well. Not just things visible to the eyes, but the invisible hosts as well. And to explain even further about the invisible part of Christ's creation, this spiritual creation, he expressly lists the hosts of heaven, the thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. <clears throat> he then reasserts that Christ was the creator. In those words, all things through him and unto him have been created. But he uses a different verb tense, and that will be very significant in terms of casting a different shade of meaning. Uh, the apostle is not redundant, but clear, showing him both to be the agent of creation and the ultimate goal toward which creation moves. And that theme is expanded all the way up through verse 20 as it draws in the work of reconciliation. But we'll get to that. Finally, he uh, in these verses 16 and 17, he asserts Christ's absolute pre-existence to all of creation, further distinguishing him from it. And then he assigns to him not only the work of making all created things, but the continuous active preservation of the creation as well. All things by him or in him stand together. They hold together. And so we see then what it is to be the prototokos, the sovereign firstborn over the creation. And this is what we'll be looking at in detail in the next couple of weeks and continuing through these verses uh, to the end of verse 20. Now, why is Christ firstborn with reference to the creation according to the Apostle? He answers this first of all with a statement of fact. Christ himself 
made the worlds, because by him were all things created. Now, to some people, this might seem to be a very startling assertion. Uh, I'm afraid that we are not accustomed to thinking of this aspect of Christ's work. We are accustomed to thinking of uh, a simple division under which the Father creates, the Son redeems, and the Spirit sanctifies. Uh, but that is simply not the revelation of the Scriptures. Now, let me, first of all, show you that this is a major New Testament doctrine. And, of course, a, a doctrine, needless to say, which is very offensive uh, to those unbelieving Jews who did not receive the Messiah. Because at the bottom of it, it sets forth the claim in stark, bold terms that the God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, God, who in sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and the upholding all, and upholding upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Very uh, significant parallel passage to this one in Colossians. Uh, because again, it sets forth the redemptive work of the Son, His uh, divinity, and possessing of the image of God, His providential and uh, uh, spiritual preservation of the creation, His creating of the world, and also His uh, preeminence over the angels, which is almost all of the different things that, that Paul is setting forth right here. Hebrews chapter 1, particularly verse 2, "...by whom also He made the worlds." Now then again in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 in particular, uh, Paul is talking about the, uh, the gospel uh, of which he was made a minister, and how he preaches among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship or, stu or stewardship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is another passage which is a virtual summary of verses 15 through 20, or even beyond that of Colossians chapter 1 who created all things by Jesus Christ. Then, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. He's talking about idols. He says, there are, Though there be that which are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. <coughs> now, if we took some of these verses at their English face value, and I do stress that English face value, uh, because our prepositions do not always accurately represent the 
full content or, or, or meaning of the Greek prepositions. In fact, they rarely do. If we took these verses at their face value, uh, so far it might even seem that, uh, that the, rather than holding forth that Christ was the uh, creator, it seems almost as if they're holding forth that Christ is some sort of means by which the Father created. Now, a careful examination of these passages would reveal that not to be the case, uh, or not their intent, but uh, the Scriptures leave us with a more explicit statement that clears up the matter for us, in addition to our verse that we're considering now. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 reads, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, there's a Genesis of the New Testament as well. And it's John chapter 1. In a direct reference to Genesis chapter 1, meant to identify His gospel with the beginning of Genesis, taking us back even to before the beginning which is recorded in Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him. <clears throat> now, and of course we know that John later goes on to identify this Word as Jesus Christ. He means to identify the Jesus Christ of John chapter 1, with the Creator God of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. There simply can be no misunderstanding there. But this is not merely a New Testament doctrine. It is revealed in the Old Testament as well, in a surprising place. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 through 31. This is the voice of wisdom. Verse in which Christ, as the wisdom of God, is revealed as coexistent with the Father from eternity, as present at the creating of the heavens of the earth and the earth, and as co-maker and co-creator of the universe. Beginning at verse 22 through 26, we have the revelation of Christ as coexistent from the Father with eternity. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way, before His works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, before ever the earth was. When there was no depths, I was brought forth, the eternal generation of the sun. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was, I, uh, before the hills was, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. Then, as present at the creating of the heavens of the earth. Verse 27. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the earth. When he established the clouds above. When he strengthened the fountains of the deep. When he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment. When he appointed the foundations of the earth. Then was I by him. As, and this should, should read, a master workman with him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Old Testament revelation of the wisdom of God personified clearly the Son begotten by God from eternity 
present at the creation, creator with the Father of at creation. Now, in fact, what we discover in the scriptures is that the work of creation is actually attributed to all three persons of the Trinity. Because as God is one in essence, so also he is in will and power. And as Abrakel puts it, all God's extrinsic works, that is his outward works, the things that he does, are, uh, it is, uh, all God's extrinsic works are common to the three persons, being the work of a triune God. Nevertheless, each of these extrinsic works is attributed to individual persons according to the relationship which each person has to the particular work. So, to the Spirit... Uh, is attributed, as Owen puts it, the disposition and ornament of creation. Job 26.13 By his spirit he has garnished the heavens. To the Father belongs the authority and order of creation, but to the Son belongs the immediate operation. It was eminently immediately and signally to be the work of the Son. It was immediately His work. Christ, without any intermediary, directly created. It was eminently and signally His work. He, more than any other, was to be singled out as the one who created and to receive the honor from it. It would be noted as particularly His work, and we will see as we continue through Colossians that this is because the entire creation was appointed to glorify the Son so that in His reconciling of all things, in His redeeming even of the creation that would fall, it would point to His glory, it would all come back to Him so that He would reconcile all things to Himself, whether things in heaven or things in earth, so that even the creation fallen groans under its bondage, waiting to be redeemed by the Son, to, to, to be transformed into the new heavens and the new earth, so that it is all progressing unto Him, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Now, this much we have so far in Colossians, that the Christ is the Creator, uh, as an assertion of fact. It's not so much explained yet, as it is asserted. And so we'll stop there with that uh, portion of the, of, of the text. Now, as he continues, <coughs> he uh, says that this creative work of Christ was universal. He's expanding this fact. It encompassed all things. Now, of course, you are undoubtedly aware that in the scriptures, the word all does not necessarily mean universally all. So we can't just uh, go from the word all to, to mean everything. It means Sometimes it means a lot, sometimes it means most, sometimes it means all of a class. It has a wide variety of meanings. The context usually makes the meaning clear enough in the parallels of Scripture. So Paul, uh, and, and although it is quite clear from the context here that Paul does indeed mean to encompass everything that was created, he deemed it necessary to go into very explicit detail as to what he meant by all things, all creation. By him were all things created. Now why does he deem it necessary to go into such detail? Uh, well, it is quite possible that the Colossian heretics were willing to allow some role of Christ in creation, just as they allowed him some role in redemption. Uh, perhaps they classed him... Uh, as creator of the earth, but not of the heavenly things, or the angels, which they included him with. We don't know, but he, he, he does deem it uh, to be necessary to go into a very exhaustive explanation 
of, of what he means by all things when he says that Christ created all things. And he makes himself perfectly clear. He uses two parallel uh, illustrations. First of all, he says, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth. This is a very natural division. It refers on one hand to the physical universe, uh, matter, the earth, the sun, the stars, the worlds, plants and animals, the firmament, the bodies of men, every creature, every flower, every tree, the, the, the stars, the planets, uh, the sun, the countless numbers of stars with all of their planets, the waters and the oceans, all the beasts, matter itself, atoms and protons and neutrons and molecules and mass, everything that has physical existence. You see, because before, what? There was nothing. Nothing. So God, out Christ, out of nothing, created all of the physical universe. He spoke, and the worlds were but also the heavens. Now, the contrast here is not between the earth and the sky, as we'll see between visible and invisible. The contrast is between the physical and the spiritual. See, spiritual things are created too, like the souls of men, the angels, the throne of God, the heavenly structure. Every created spiritual thing is what is meant by the heavens. He views it to explain with another pair of words, the visible and the invisible, and these are roughly parallel. The visible being matter, physical reality, what he calls the earth before. And the invisible things being the heavens, the spiritual realities. And so we see the apostle's purpose is to leave no category remaining. Whatever has been created, has been created by Jesus Christ, by His immediate operation. Whatever can be called or classed as a created thing, and that is everything except the triune God, is the result of, directly, the created activities of the Eternal Son. You see, John, and John puts it the same, the same sort of explicit way, uh, all things were made by Him, and then negatively, without him was not anything made that was made. Does it two ways? Nothing can escape. Everything that was created is the result of the creative activities of the eternal Son of God. But he does not stop here. He, he draws out a, a subcategory of these that, two that he's given, uh, and this is something which can only be explained as a direct rebuttal of the Colossian heretics. There's no other reason. He's, he's already exhausted what you could possibly list. But he's going to get a little more particular to make sure everybody understands. He singles out the angelic hosts, the powers of the heavens. Now why does he do that? Well, look at Colossians 2.18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he's not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. The worshipping of angels. That's what they were trying to be beguiled of their reward into. The worshipping of angels. So Paul singles out the powers of heaven, 
dignifying them first of all with high titles, and then subjecting them entirely to the Lord Jesus. And that's a powerful sequence which is calculated to shame those who would take from Christ to give to the creature, however noble or exalted a creature. Now he uses four terms here, thrones, dominions or lordships, principalities, and powers or authorities. Now the first one of these, thrones, uh, I do not believe that it refers to the angels. Uh, it is never used that way anywhere else in the scriptures. It is used almost exclusively re to refer to God's throne, uh, which is what Calvin thinks it means here, and he gives kind of a strange explanation as to why he would say that Christ was over God's throne. But, uh, but it's plural here, and God's throne is always singular, so I don't think that can be what it refers to. It says thrones, however it is used to describe one other thing in the heavenlies. You wouldn't get this from your translations mostly, uh, but, but we'll see it here. Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. John has a vision of heaven. He's described, first of all, the throne in heaven and the one that sat upon the throne. There was a rainbow around the throne in sight like into an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty, and it says seats. It should say thrones. Because this word, it never means, even the word seat here means a seat of authority. Uh, it should say thrones. Round about the throne were four and twenty thrones. And upon the thrones I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. You see, people who have crowns don't sit on seats. They sit on thrones. Uh, and then he goes on to describe more about the throne on which uh, uh, the Christ sat and the seven spirits of God which were around it. Round about the throne were four and twenty thrones, and the t four and twenty elders sat on these thrones. Uh, of course, the four and twenty elders, representative of redeemed humanity, of the Church of Christ, in heaven. Uh, what's going on here? What What is this being talked about? Uh, let me give you three passages in the New Testament to help explain what this is. First of all, Matthew 19, verses 27 and 28. Uh, Jesus says uh, that to, it's to, uh, for a rich man to be saved, it's harder than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And uh, Peter says, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. When the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory... You will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, uh, Revelations, Revelation, sorry, chapter 20, uh, verse 4, this millennial picture, angel comes down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He lays hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan binds him a thousand years, casts him in the bottomless pit, shuts him up, sets a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. 
who? And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. What's going on here? In part, First uh, Corinthians <coughs> chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, which is not even uh, talking about this. He's talking about uh, how ridiculous it is that if the two saints have a disagreement, that they are going to pagan magistrates to have their uh, legal affairs and their differences worked out. He says, verse 2, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Don't you know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. This is all, uh, this judging of, this exaltation of the saints to thrones, uh, judging of, uh, of uh, the world and of angels is a fulfillment again of Old Testament prophecy. It is revealed in the book of Daniel in chapter 7 and 8 in the course of the uh, vision of the four beasts. In verse 9, he says, I, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, I beheld, he's seen all the, the beasts and the fourth beast and the, the, the horns and the little horn that comes up and all of those things, I beheld till thrones were, uh, it reads cast down, it should read placed. I beheld till thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like the pure wool, and his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him, thousands and thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Now remember, I beheld till the thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days did sit. Now, we skip down to verse, uh, uh, to uh, chapter 8, I'm sorry, verses 21 through 27. No, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse, uh, uh, 21 through 27 of chapter 1, uh, chapter 7, same chapter. Uh, as we continue, he goes back and he has a, a, he asks him what to know. He asks the interpretation of the vision. That was the vision that we just read. And, the, and, the, and the, he's explained that the beasts are the four kings, but the saints, 18 of the Most High, the saints, verse 18, the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And he asks, what about this fourth beast? And he explains that 
uh, and the ten horns and, and what's going on. And he says, I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. All of this is illustrated in the book of Revelation. 22, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. And then the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on the earth, devour the whole earth, the ten horns are ten kings, then the, uh, the one that rises out subdues three kings, speaks great words against the Most High, wears out the saints of the Most High, thinks to change times and laws. And again, this is all what we were just reading, uh, what's just prior in the book of Revelation. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. These thrones, Colossians 1.16, are the thrones of the saints. Those are the only thrones known in the scriptures, plural thrones. Now, the next three words, however, refer to the angelic hosts. We hear secondly about dominions or lordships. This word comes from, it has very slim usage in scripture. It's based on the word for lord, so we might literally render it a lordship or the dominion that belongs to one who is a lord. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, which is one of the parallel passages to Colossians 16 which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And among that list is the word that we have here, dominions. And above every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet. So setting him in his own right hand in the heavenly places is above principalities, powers, authorities, and dominions, indicating by inference uh, that uh, a a dominion is one of the heavenly places. Uh, Jude 8 through 10 and 2 Peter 2.10 are the only other uses. Uh, Jude 8, here after... He says, likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dares not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. Here, uh, a dominion and the dignity seems to be expressly associated in this case with with, uh, a fallen angel, uh... But Second Peter 2.10 also says, uh, But chiefly them, this is a parallel, chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. That's probably not the best translation. It's our word, dominions. It's translated dominion in Jude. Despise dominions. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. And in that case, them is explained in Jude 8, 9 as being Satan, so that by inference the dominion and the, and the dignities uh, is classed in this case as, uh, as being uh, parallel with almost uh, seemingly the, the, uh, the fallen angels. But again, it's an angelic concept of an angelic being an angelic host, an angelic authority. <clears throat> the third word, and that's the only other three places it's used in the, in the scripture. The third word is principalities. This word is used more frequently and more clearly. Uh, it's from the word arche, 
which is it means beginning. It's usually translated that way, a beginning. It's perhaps related to the word archon, which means a prince or a ruler or a chief. So this would be the concept of a prince's dominion or a chief's dominion. It is used in Ephesians, again, chapter 3, verse 10, in a very clear usage that associates it with the angelic host. Uh, who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. It is used to refer to the demons in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The idea that this refers to civil governments, by the way, is ridiculous. Uh, it, it refers to spiritual wickedness in high places, the, the, the hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, it's also translated. So uh, then also Romans chapter 8 uh, verse 38 is another one with regard to the use of the word principalities. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. And then also Colossians 2.10 uh, which is just a little later. And you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. But, but basically that, that verse in uh, Ephesians 3.10 is the most convincing, most straightforward in establishing that this is indeed some sort of uh, word that refers to the angelic hosts. It is usually paired with the word powers uh, from the Greek exousia, authorities or powers is the concept there. It also is used in Ephesians 3.10, Ephesians 6.12 and Colossians 2.10, those three verses we just read. But uh, perhaps the most significant one is 1 Peter where it's used uh, in a different pair, 1 Peter 3.22. It's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Again, the concept of the heavenly hosts. Now, we said that the purpose of these verses was to do two things, this verse. Uh, first of all, is it is he dignifies the heavenly hosts using these words. Angels are indeed ministering spirits, but we must not uh, uh, minimize their dignity and authority. Elsewhere, remember that they're called gods, little g. They are called here authorities like unto magistrates, principalities like unto princes, dominions like unto lords. These are kingdom words, words of rule and authority. And of course the glorified saints are classed a notch higher because they judge angels. They sit on thrones as kings. All of this is meant to conjure ideas of dominion and rule. There's no question as to that. And it's probable that these Colossian heretics had some sort of very well-developed angelology, some concept of the hierarchy and dominions of angels, the like of which we see in, modern, in uh, medieval popery and uh, other superstitious uh, uh, religions in which they developed this whole scheme of, uh, of the rankings and authorities of angels and this type of thing. It's likely that that was, that was what was good. They were worshipping them, after all. So they probably had a well-developed theology of these angels and their, and their various powers and the things you could get. Who knows? Who knows? It's all speculation. But it, undoubtedly they had a well-developed theology of it. And perhaps these were even words that they used. But Paul, uh, Paul dignifies them, certainly. Uh, although I will say that the scriptures are entirely silent as far as the orders of angels and the ranks of angels. 
even as to what this dominion is taken up with, or how it is exercised, or what it is over. Uh, there's a little bit more information on the dominion of the evil angels, and the, and the spiritual wickedness that they seek to work uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the world, and, the, and uh, with Satan being the prince of this world, and their and their head, there's almost no information as regards to what this principality or authority or dominion is that these angels have. So it's pure speculation and intruding into the hidden things of God to get into that. But he does dignify them with some form of authority that they seem to have. <clears throat> A very high kind, very, very astounding words to use. As I said, second only to the word that is used of the glorified saints, that they sit on thrones as kings. But after dignifying them, he does what he's really after here, and that is that he subjects them entirely to the Lord Jesus. And he's going to do this repeatedly, multiple times in, in, the, in this uh, Colossian letter. Because these heavenly kings and princes and lords and magistrates are all created beings. And that means that they were created by Christ. Christ is not among them. He's certainly not below them. He is their creator and thus their Lord. Hebrews 1.6, again, when he bringeth in the firstborn into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. So Christ then created the heavens of the earth and the earth, the things invisible, even angels and the souls of men, and the things visible, every atom and particle of physical matter. Christ was not created, he is the eternal word. He's the wisdom of God from eternity unto eternity. And this creation of all things is the first thing that marks him as the firstborn with reference to all creation. He's the chief of it and the Lord of it. It was made by him. And thus, he's over it. He's the chief of it. Now, the, the applications that are going to be drawn from this, we're going to wait for, uh, for the ones that are drawn directly because they are based on a larger cross-section of, uh, of, of what the Apostle is driving at here as we continue. There's just one thing. And then I will conclude. When we consider that Christ is the Creator, then we, and we ask that question, is Christ the Creator of all things, of the spiritual things and the physical things? Then the implication is that He created you and me. And whether you receive Him now as the chief of creation, of which you are a part, or whether you do not receive Him, He is still chief and Lord over you. And you will stand before Him and answer to Him someday. The angels will not help you. They do not make intercession for sinners. They have no power over the Son of God. He made them. He sits high over them. The thrones which they have, the dominions or principalities or powers, He gave to them. The saints will not help you. They don't make any intercession for sinners in the way that the Son of God does. Their uh, thrones are around the throne of God, but not equal to it. Christ sits high over them. You must answer to the Son of God, the eternal wisdom of God, the Word of God, even the Lord Jesus Christ as your Maker. And in the day that you answer to Him, you will either find Him and meet Him, as a judge, or as a savior, and a loving elder brother, who gives you the power to become the Son of God, and who will receive you into mercy and glory, and to the many mansions of His Father's house, 
And so the question simply is, which will it be for you? Mm-hmm.